Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Gary Martin. Hello, Texas. It looks like most of our state got at least some rainfall over the last week. I sure hope that you got what you needed in your area, and hopefully there's more on the way. Hey, thanks for joining us for another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Here's a topic that has a lot of folks in the cattle business fired up. Why is the profit potential for beef packers so much stronger than it is for those who raise the cattle? I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, I'll tell you about a major event next month where cattle marketing issues will be in the spotlight. Many producers have gotten into the habit of purchasing or producing lower quality hay and relying on feeding cubes or other supplements. We will discuss factors that affect hay quality. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. As more and more people get out this summer, it is important to remember to protect yourself from the summer heat and the scorching sun. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Technology is allowing Texas livestock theft investigators to modernize livestock theft investigations. Jessica Domel has this report. The Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association is testing out a software designed to cut down on the amount of time it takes to solve livestock thefts. Michelle Carlisle, Assistant Director of Law Enforcement Brand and Inspection Services for TSCRA, explains. Since 1960, we've been recording information on paper from the auction market. So our market inspectors, also called brand inspectors, inspect cattle at the auction markets and they record a complete description of each animal, including color, sex, age, earmarks, and brands. Since the 60s, we've been recording this on a form that we call an F1 form, a sheet of paper. So our new electronic program that we're so excited about, it is going to allow them to enter all the information into a tablet, which is a web-based program. At the end of the day, they'll be able to transmit all records that they recorded to a secure online database. Prior to that, we have been mailing these in, which can take anywhere from two to three weeks to get to headquarters. And since COVID hit, it's taking even longer with the mail. So this is going to allow our special rangers now to be able to search from the field by seller name, brand, description of the cattle. And this can help them solve cattle thefts and apprehend thieves. As for areas that have little or no cell phone or internet service, Carlisle says inspectors will still be able to use the software. The inspectors from their home, they can turn their tablets on and open up a cell. And then when they get to the cell, they enter all the data and it does save it. And then when they get back into a Wi-Fi area, they can hit submit 
That was Michelle Carlisle with TSCRA. I'm Jessica Domel with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Beef packers are making near-record profits right now, but why is that? James Hunt looks for an answer. Here's something we continue to hear about a lot. Why is there such a wide disparity between how beef packers and livestock producers are doing when it comes to making money? The topic came up last week during my conversation with Shamrock Area rancher Pat McDowell. Just aligning the price of cattle with the beef price, that's a huge issue out there. You know, the packer supposedly made $700 a head profit on cattle that they processed last week. And the guy in the feed yard, I don't know how much he would have lost, but he would have lost quite a bit on those same cattle. And there's really not enough packing capacity for the cattlemen to regain any leverage. As I say, what you just heard Pat McDowell describe is something many in the cattle business are concerned about right now. But what's the solution? Well, perhaps some answers will come out of an event taking place next month. Texas A&M's Agricultural and Food Policy Center has been chosen by USDA to analyze a number of issues related to cattle markets. So on June 3rd and June 4th, the Ag and Food Policy Center is hosting a workshop in Kansas City. Dr. Justin Benavidez, AgriLife economist for the Texas High Plains, will be among the participants at the event, which will bring in experts from around the country to provide information on various aspects of the pricing issue. And that information is going to be presented to in-person attendees that include ranchers and staffers, some industry groups, and then we will package all of that into a report for Congress itself. It will be provided to Congress people as well as their staff and other interested parties. If you'd like to participate in the workshop, registration is $50 and for the sake of social distancing is limited to the first 150 people to sign up. You can learn more by doing a search online using the words Cattle Industry Workshop Kansas City. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There's a big trade-off when producing high-quality hay versus producing a large quantity of hay. Dr. Vanessa Olson explains from East Texas. Understanding some of the basic factors affecting hay quality is important. Hopefully your goal is to produce or purchase high quality hay that will reduce or better yet, eliminate the need for additional protein and energy supplementation. Adequate amounts of lime, nitrogen, phosphate, potash, and minor elements are needed to produce high yields of hay per acre and to maintain stands of desirable plants for a long period of time. A soil test should be used as a guide in determining the amount of fertilizer and lime needed for economical hay production. Increasing the amount of nitrogen fertilizer will typically increase forage yield as well as crude protein concentration in the forage. However, nitrogen fertilizer has very little, if any, effect on energy value of hay. One of the biggest factors affecting forage digestibility is plant maturity. As plants increase in maturity, lignin and fiber concentrations increase and forage digestibility decreases. This results in both a decrease in energy and crude protein concentration. To optimize both forage quality and forage yield, it is commonly recommended that forages such as Bermuda grass be harvested every three to four weeks. After mowing, poor weather and handling conditions can lower hay quality. Rain can cause leaf loss and can leach nutrients from plants during curing. Be mindful of weather conditions during the harvesting and baling process. The most practical way to determine the nutrient content of hay is through forage nutritive analysis. Forage nutritional results can be used to assess quality and to determine amount and type of supplementation needed 
for the desired level of animal production. Matching hay to different classes of livestock based on nutritional content of the forage and the requirements of the animal can lead to a more efficient forage and livestock program. Remember that producing or purchasing quality hay that meets or slightly exceeds the needs of your livestock for protein and energy will eliminate the need for additional costly protein and energy supplementation. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson reporting from East Texas with Texas Ag Today. Texans are getting out and about as we move into a post-lockdown world. Tom Nicoletti talks with a Waco physician about the transition to a more normal summer. Well, the summer of 2021 will be vastly different than that of 2020. The Centers for Disease Control has recently put out uh, their new guidelines about being outside more for those people who are fully vaccinated uh, this spring and summer. And to talk more about that and other issues to be safe this summer is Dr. James Sharp. He is a Waco physician. And Dr. Sharp, uh, certainly with more and more people going out and vacationing this year, sunscreen, hydration, and avoiding mosquitoes bites are certainly issues that people need to take into consideration. That's right, Tom. And isn't this a huge difference from last year at this time when we were looking at the COVID crisis in the face and really didn't know how bad things would get or what the summer was going to look like. We're closing down shops so much. And now we're actually opening up the shops and we're looking for certainly a more active summertime, which is great. I know I'm looking forward to it. So many people, they work outside anyway. I'm anticipating that we're just going to see much more activity than our typical summer. And with that comes the time to remind people that With all the fun we have out there, you still need to keep in mind whether you're being hydrated, whether you're eating healthy, are you ready for the heat, haven't been cooped up for a whole year, are you prepared for that sort of exertion? And certainly the sun's going to be hot again this summer, so uh, sunscreen is certainly important uh, no matter where you are outside. That's right, and we're very fortunate. You can buy clothing now where you can wear long sleeve shirts. They're cool and comfortable, but they have that UV protection and keeps that sun from cooking your skin and causing skin cancers. But, you know, using sunscreen, if you're going to be out in the middle of the day, if you're going to go swimming or fishing, you know, covering up both with broad brimmed hats and the long sleeve shirts and just respecting how damaging that, that bright sunshine is. And then, as you said something earlier about hydrating, make sure that you're getting enough fluids for the day. Enjoy that sunshine and Enjoy the time out with family. The farther we get into this thing, the more people get immunized, the more casual we can take our time together. So it's great. So far, Texas has a little over 25% has been completely vaccinated, and this will allow us to um, be able to have our family gatherings for the 4th of July and those weekend times together. I remember what it was like last year at this time, and it's like, what on earth are we about to hit? But this year, it's getting closer and closer to being back to normal. That is Waco physician Dr. James Sharp. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Time is running out to weigh in on a lesser prairie chicken conservation plan. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll have details on Texas Ag today. And the grass is now green in most areas of Texas now and that could be a problem for horses. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. If you're not in a severe drought area of our state, the grass is now green and lush in most areas of Texas now. Now, that's good if you have a cattle herd. However, that could be a problem for horses. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd explains. Lush spring grass contains a large amount of carbohydrates, which can lead to a serious condition in horses called laminitis. Laminitis is a condition in which the lamina inside the hoof become inflamed, and these lamina are inflamed and weakened. They are unable to do their job of holding the coffin bone in place, and it can separate from the hoof wall, causing founder. This is a severely painful condition that will lead to severe lameness and may even require euthanasia in some cases. And although there are other causes of laminitis, 90% are related to increased carbohydrates in the diet in horses that are resistant to the effects of insulin. Because of insulin resistance, some horses, the insulin levels are high in the blood and can lead to laminitis. Horses with insulin resistance are known to have equine metabolic syndrome. And in most cases, these horses should not be grazing on grass at all, especially lush spring grass. If your horse has ever developed laminitis before, grazing spring grass is probably not a good idea. Also, some breeds are more likely to have insulin resistance than others, including all ponies and miniature horses, Arabians, Tennessee walking horses, and Andalusians. However, we are seeing lots of quarter horses with equine metabolic syndrome, and most of these horses have excess fat deposits and are overweight. However, all horses with equine metabolic syndrome are not overweight. So it is important to be careful when turning your horses out on lush spring pasture, and it's probably a good idea to ask your veterinarian about the possibility of equine metabolic syndrome and have your horses tested if necessary. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Time is running out to weigh in on a lesser prairie chicken conservation plan. Jessica Domel has the details in today's Wildlife Report. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is now accepting comments on a draft habitat conservation plan and draft environmental assessment on potential impacts to lesser prairie chickens from renewable energy development. The Habitat Conservation Plan was developed by LPC Conservation, LLC, in support of an application for an incidental take permit for the lesser prairie chicken. Under the plan, renewable energy partners who work with LPC Conservation may purchase permits to offset any of their projects' potential impacts on lesser prairie chickens and their habitats. The plan would cover wind and solar energy development, as well as transmission lines across the prairie chicken's habitat range in Kansas, Colorado, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Texas. According to FWS, the plan is designed to promote conservation of the lesser prairie chicken's habitat while providing regulatory certainty for energy developers in the event that the prairie chickens are granted protections under the Endangered Species Act in the future. 
Amy Luters, FWS's regional director, said the collaboration will help offset the impacts to the lesser prairie chickens by protecting, enhancing, and restoring land of relatively high ecological value to the species. Lesser prairie chickens are a type of prairie grouse. They need large areas of relatively intact native grasslands and prairies to thrive. The deadline to comment on the proposed plan is Friday. You can comment on federalregister.gov, that is federalregister.gov, simply search Lesser Prairie Chicken. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Good rainfall put pressure on both corn and wheat prices on Monday, and that helped to send cattle prices sharply higher. We'll take a look at all of Monday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We saw a big drop in both corn and wheat prices on Monday thanks to beneficial rains last week and more rain in the forecast. That, in turn, helped to boost cattle prices on Monday. We finished strongly higher in both live and feeder cattle futures. June live cattle up 220, closing at 118.22. The August up $1.50, 120.35. October live cattle up $1.10 at $124.55. A strong move upward in the feeder market. May feeder cattle up $372, $135.45. August feeders up $442 at $148.70. September feeder cattle up $402 at $150.07. Cash fed cattle market all quiet on a Monday. We ended up selling cattle last week $1 to $2 lower, $118 to $119. Feedlots hoping to get better money this week as we continue to see a higher move in boxed beef. Boxed beef prices higher on Monday. Choice up a dollar sixty-four three zero seven fifty-two. Select up three twenty-eight at two ninety-three fifty-five. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. And that little country ball of fire is going to be our guest today, Madison Bexley, Lockhart Livestock. They sell them every Thursday. Maddie, how did that sale go for y'all? Hey, Larry. Uh, we ended up having a really good day considering the rain that we got this week. We had 958 head of cattle, 343 cows and 20 bulls, 131 sellers, and 77 buyers. Let's walk the pins. On the stalker cows, we had three or four good sets, a couple little sellout deals of cows, and we got along real good. Uh, the front end of the pairs brought from 11 to 16.50. The mediocre and middle-aged from 7.50 to 10.50. The longhorn and the planer in from 3.50. 50 to seven and a quarter. The good bread cows from 850 to 1150. The mediocre middle aged and shortbreads from 450 to 800. Packer cows and bulls would have been about steady with a week ago. The good high yielding cows from 63 to 75 and a half. The medium yielding from 50 to 62. The low yielding cows from 30 to 49. The good high yielding packer bulls from 88 
to 98 and a half. The medium yielding from 80 to 87. Low yielding and lightweights from 60 to 79. And the calves and yearlings would have sold pretty much steady to maybe just a tick lower on a good active market this week. How many noses did you count? 958. 958. Do you know of anything for next week yet? Yes, sir. We're supposed to get a little sellout deal come Monday. So uh, already working on some cattle for next week. Good. See what else we can get. Yes, sir. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Maddie. You can always check us out on Facebook or you can call the barn at 512 512- Three nine eight three four seven six. My cell phone at nine seven nine five four zero nine seven nine three. Or you can ring Bubba at five one two four six one six zero nine one. Maddie, thanks so much for brightening all our day. We appreciate it. You've been listening to Walk in the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, and me, I'm Larry Marble. I'm your host. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs. Finish lower Monday. May hogs down seven one eleven ninety. June down seventy five cents. 11210. Class 3 milk was mixed. The nearby May up 3 cents, 1885 a hundredweight. June milk down 3 at 1886. The cotton market closed lower on Monday, mainly because the weather forecast shows improved chances for rain in West Texas. The 6-10 to day outlook has more rain in the forecast, and of course we've gotten some rain here over the past week in many of the dry areas of the state. We close with the October cotton contract down 98 points, 87.43. December cotton down 79 at 86.10. Good rain in the central corn belt and more rain expected over the next week helped to push the corn market sharply lower. May corn down 24 and three quarters, closing at 748 a bushel. September corn down 25 and three quarters, 629. Same story in wheat. Good rain in the forecast for the southern plains, pushing wheat prices lower. July Kansas City wheat down 33 and a quarter, 703 and a half. Soft wheat in Chicago down 31 and a quarter on the July contract. It closed at 7.30 and a half. In the energy markets, June natural gas down 2 cents, 2.93. June crude oil down 6, 64.84 a barrel. The financial markets lower. The Dow down 32 points, 34,745. The Nasdaq dropping 350 at 13,401. The S&P 500 down 44 at 4,188. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, and don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. My name's Kerry Martin. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.